Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Besties. Welcome, everyone, to VO Booth Besties. Like our intro said, we're here to help working voice actors get your most important questions answered by industry pros who know. Each week, we'll have a new topic and a guest speaker who is an expert on that topic. Speaking of which, we want to be sure you are all current on the awesome speakers we have coming up. So if you want to be in the know, make sure you're on our email list. If you'd like to be added, simply swing by our website, boothbesties.com, and shoot us a message with your email. And of course, if you haven't joined our VO Booth Besties Facebook group, please join us there too. Now, a quick bit of housekeeping. In order to stay on topic and get as many of your questions answered as we can, we're actually going to keep the hand raising turned off. However, the chat will remain open, and this week, AB will be monitoring that. Now, without further ado, let's meet our guest. Over to you, AB. Tina Morasco brings a unique blend of industry and artistry as the head of casting at Sound and Fury. Having been a voiceover agent at New York's William Morris Agency and ICM, a highly sought after voiceover coach, demo producer, and a successful voiceover artist and an on-camera actress for the past 20 years, Tina is passionate about sharing her experience from both sides of the business to build a bridge connecting an <laughs> actor's unique perspective to a client's tangible needs. She has a proven track record of discovering eclectic new talent and mentoring them into working VO pros. Tina earned her MFA in acting from the prestigious Mason Gross School of the Arts at Rutgers University, as well as a second master's degree in spiritual psychology from the University of Santa Monica. While she has a deep connection to things of a spiritual nature, the words that still bring her the most joy are, would you like extra sprinkles on that? Tina can currently be heard as the narrator of the HGTV hit series, Love It or List It, which she has voiced since its U.S. debut almost 10 years ago. Over to you, JT. Tina, we are so thrilled to have you with us. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we just climbed Everest to get me in the room. So thank <laughs> you for kind of your, your popping, I guess. Yeah, you are, I think, essentially popping my clubhouse cherry. I did one other clubhouse, but I think it grew back in between. <laughs> so. Oh, well, we're, we're thrilled to have you here. And, you know, fangirl, total geek over the, the TV stuff and the in-show oh. narration. And um, we just have a gazillion questions for you. Oh, my gosh. I'm happy to answer. And the answer to would you like extra sprinkles on that is always yes. <laughs> Multicolored yeah. sprinkles or chocolate? Yes. Well, it depends. I'm very specific. So if I get a chocolate cone, I want rainbow sprinkles. And if I get a vanilla cone, I want chocolate sprinkles because it's all about that contrast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so were you an agent or talent first? Uh, an agent first. So right out of college, I um, really had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And I had a girlfriend who graduated a year ahead of me who was working as an agent assistant at William Morris. And she's like, why don't you just get a job here and you can learn about the business and take acting classes at night. And I was like, all right, yeah, that sounds good with my like Jersey accent and spiral perm down to my butt. And uh, literally it was like, it was a different time. It was like back at this time in my life where I had like a fairy just sprinkling dust on me. And 
I kid you not, like two days later, I was picking up Julia Roberts dry cleaning. Like, <laughs> as a, I, you know, I got a job as like an agent trainee at William Morris. And I was like in the mailroom, like literally like working girl with like chomping on gum and my little like, you know, polyester mini, mini skirt. And, uh, <laughs> and I uh, did not even know what an agent did at the time. And, you know, learned very, very, very quickly in a, in a very much a trial by fire scenario, but I loved it right out of the, right out of the gate. I just, I loved, um, everything about the agent world, the, like the hustle and bustle and like the assistants back then had a ton of responsibility. So we were working incredibly hands-on with clients and I was getting to go to Broadway and off Broadway every night and stand up. And it was just, it was the best. It was the nineties in New York. It was the sex in the city era. It just did not get better. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. So how did you end up? Well, first of all, did you start with voiceover or on camera work when you? Oh, as a, as a talent. So, mm-hmm. so basically the trajectory was, I was at William Morris for three years and, um, and then ICM sort of came knocking because they wanted to start a commercial voiceover department. So they only represented celebrities when I got there and in Los Angeles. So I, this was all in New York. So in Los Angeles, LA had a booming scale voiceover department in LA at ICM and the New York office wanted a piece of that action. So they um, tapped me to start their scale voiceover department. And that's really where I got most of my experience of directing actors. So we decided we weren't going to steal clients from other agencies. We went out every single solitary night scouting talent. So like Like I said, Broadway, off-Broadway, stand-up, comedy, performance art. If I saw a juggler on the street and they had a cool voice, I'd be like, hey, you want to learn how to do voiceover? And then I would bring all these different people in from all different walks of the performance life into our like swanky, like Fifth Avenue office (laughs) and teach them how to do voiceover. And so we got the coolest people. Like we've got Liev Schreiber, like pretty fresh out of his Yale showcase. We had Jeffrey Wright. We had like... Uh, like un, but Maren Hinkle before she was, you know, amazing. Well, like just the most unbelievable, uh, talented people and taught them how to do voiceover. And so the department really took off and became this huge success in New York. And then for reasons still unknown to me, I think I got struck by lightning, but I decided I wanted to go back to grad school and become an actor. And, um, gave up my swanky corner office to go lay on a dirty classroom floor at Rutgers University and uh, spent three years getting my MFA in acting. And then after that, I moved to LA as a talent. So that's sort of like the, and when I moved to LA, you know, it was, my focus was always going to be on, on camera. Like I just, I wanted to land a series regular role, like on a sitcom, like, you know, like, the mom on Modern Family, like that was sort of like always my focus and my dream. And um, voiceover was just like that steady boyfriend that just was always there for me. You know, it was like I had all that behind the scenes knowledge from being an agent. And then I had three years of voice and speech training and acting training in grad school. So you kind of put those two things together and it, you know, was sort of an inevitable thing that I would have a voiceover career. So voiceover kind of took off and I was still going like, yes, and I really want to be over here doing on camera too. And, you know, on camera was nice and, it, you know, it was, it was, you know, small things here and there, but voiceover is always like the steady Eddie, like, you know, thing that I could count on. 
how did you end up being the voice for Love It or List It? So that is a great story that Heather at Atlas still loves to tell. So I was always with, so ICM turned into DPN and they were always my my agents for like the first probably 10 years or so of my career. And, you know, as, as things do, relationships start at, you know, ebb and flow. And I decided to go over to Atlas because I was really, really interested in diving deeper into narration. I had done a lot of like E! True Hollywood stories and a lot of like sort of salacious narration up until then. And so when I went to Atlas, they were like, you know, are there any areas that you want to like dive a little bit deeper into? Because commercials had always been my bread and butter. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to be like the in-show narrator on something. And so like, I don't know, this was like still the early days of home studios, you know, and like, I admittedly did not have my home studio set up as properly as it should have been. But I had a friend who owns a studio in Manhattan Beach. So I would always go there and record if I needed to. And so Heather called me at like nine o'clock in the morning one day. I just like dropped my daughter off at school. I come back, I was going to take like a little nap, wasn't (laughs) feeling great, whatever. And so she called me and she was like, hey, you know, um, we got this spec um, show in they, it's literally just going to be this production company pitching the show to HGTV. And they want to put like a real voiceover artist on there as the announce instead of just using a scratch VO. So, you know, at the very least, it'll just be a session fee. And at the most, if it goes like you could potentially be like the intro narrator for the show. And I was like, mm. like I literally wanted to take a nap. And I was like, uh, you know, my throat's a little scratchy and da, 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 da. And it was like dead silence on the other end. And she was like, um, and I could hear like, she's like, I don't think you quite understand the magnitude of this. So she starts doing the numbers and she was like, if this runs and there's going to be like 18 episodes a season and four seasons in a year, da, 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 da. she's like, this is the amount of money you can make. I was like, all right, I'm going to go make a cup of tea and I'm going to go down to my friend's <laughs> studio. I'll be right back. And so I literally just recorded like the demo of it, like the very, very, very first, um, you know, sort of scratch episode that went to network and then it got picked up and the rest is history. And honestly, I think that was like 2011. So we're like 12, what is that? 13 years, 12 years in? 12. Yeah. Yeah. It is the gift that keeps on giving. I'm so grateful for it every day. And to this day, anytime anybody asks Heather about it, she just like, she's like, you almost gave that. I literally said, (laughs) you know what? I so appreciate you thinking of me. I know this is because of the conversation that we had about me wanting to do this. Um, But you know, just, you could give it to the next person. I don't want to like reflect poorly on you if my home studio sound quality isn't up to stuff. She's like, you literally almost gave this away. So thank God she did not allow that to happen. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and 19 seasons later, Mm -hmm. trust your agents, people. (laughs) (laughs) Just say yes. Don't say no. Now, obviously you're busy with a whole lot of other things. Do you still do voiceover? or just the show? So mostly just the show now. I mean, once in a blue moon, if something comes around where I'm like, 
you know, as we all have to kind of really know our place and know our instrument, know where we fit in, you know, once in a blue moon, if something comes around and it's really in my wheelhouse, I'll do it. Um, but my focus right now is really so heavily casting and coaching kind of split equally that there's just not a whole lot of time. Um, every now and then if I have a light casting day and Atlas sends me a bunch of stuff, I'll go in and do it just for fun. But for the most part, it's, it's all coaching, all casting all the time. Okay. Um, now obviously 19 seasons in the sound of love it or listed, I'm sure it's just second nature, but is there a method that you use to prep for recording? So here's the disclaimer that I want to say. The sound of Love It or List It was created in 2011, which is, you know, a totally different style than what's being asked for right now. But anytime I've ever tried to deviate and make it a little bit more like conversational and grounded and real, they're always like, no, we want you. (laughs) So I am locked in to that style. So that's why I'm like, you know, anybody that comes to me for coaching, it's like everything that I say is the exact opposite of what I'm doing on that show. (laughs) But but it it really is. um, It just goes to show that there's a place for everything. Right. And different different genres require different styles. And you have to be able to be malleable and bend and shift and and do whatever's asked for you. So. um, So in terms of prepping now, I mean, I've just I've done probably, I don't even know, probably like six, 700 episodes of it. So it's, I can kind of go, um, you know, pretty much in like seasoned and ready to go and know that there's going to be a relocated refrigerator and asbestos in the basement. And, <laughs> um, you know, who'd have thought? Yeah, exactly. What? Um, but yeah, you know, I always try to, um, I try to not take it for granted. I try to not go on autopilot as much as possible. And I do digest every episode before I I read it. And I really focus on the the story and like what's different about this story than every other story. What makes this couple unique? You know, like what makes this particular situation unique? And I really try to tell that story as best I can, which is the same as what I'm coaching you all to do with commercials, right? Is really like dig in and be dogmatic about extracting what story you're telling and focus on that. So it is the same in narration. It's just, um, you know, I'm just kind of in that one particular style in this, in this show. Now, in your experience, the in-show narration jobs, um, are they primarily union or does it vary by network? I think it varies by network and this show is not union. Um, It never has been. It's been sort of like back in the day, they used to call it non-jurisdictional. So it wasn't really. um, So, yeah, so I don't get residuals for it, but, you know, I've I've been doing such volume on it for so long. And for the longest time, we had a couple of spinoffs. We had, um, the Vancouver version. So I was love that I listed too. We had a UK version. We had an Australian version for a little while. So it was, it's all about like the longevity and the volume per episode. Um, but I'm sure there are a lot of in-show narration gigs that are, that are union, but I think most of like the cable network stuff is non-union. 
Okay, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I would have thought the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have. Well, um, then I would be speaking to you from my from my second home in like <laughs> Malibu. Well, real quick on that note, somebody went ahead and asked in the chat, and this is a perfect tie-in. So find that they may they're not necessarily a union but are all that are they coming through agents or can oh yes folks, okay can folks find these on online casting i don't believe so okay. i mean i am not on you know like i i'm not that familiar with what is offered on online castings but yeah and and they're really narration is a tough it's a tough gig to get. It's, you know, they really go through very specific agents. So it's usually like the agents that have powerhouse departments in promo narration trailer, you know, so it's like the heavy hitters in New York and LA for the most part are getting the promo. Uh, I mean, are getting the narration um, auditions. That's what it's, I figured. Yeah. yeah. It's those agent relationships with the producers that are really like, that's, that's how these things are brokered. Okay. So then how did you end up going from agent to talent to casting director? So, so casting, um, so Carly, who's my work wife, my Siamese twin, um, she was my agent at Atlas and then she left Atlas to to join Sound and Fury Casting when it was just really Jill who owns the company. It was just Jill. And then Carly joined her. And and I think Marissa was there too. And um, and she was pregnant. And they were sort of like, what are we going to do while she's out on maternity leave? So we, you know, she and I were in conversation and she's like, you know, would you want to, like, you have the perfect skill set. Like you've been on all sides. And I'd always been coaching all along the way. And um, she's like, you know, would you want to fill in for me for a couple of months while I was on maternity? And I was like, oh, sure. That sounds cute. I literally thought I was going to like be in my PJs and like be like, oh, I like this one. I like <laughs> I had no idea the sound and the fury and like what that meant and what it would bring and uh, found myself working 18 hour days again. And just um, but I loved it. I loved it. And it was this really unique um, business model. We were always remote. We were never in person, not even pre-pandemic. And so that presented uh, an interesting and unique challenge that I hadn't. I was always so used to working with actors interactively and, you know, like one-on-one -on -one and bringing you in and directing. And I was like, hmm, how do you craft an excellent casting link when you're not able to like sort of redirect the talent. And I realized it was all about like your ability to communicate what is being asked for through the written specs and then really being able to, to zone in very specifically to, you know, the auditions that are coming back and what I was hearing and being able to sort of like hear the connection, hear the story being told, hear whatever, whatever it was that the creative directors said that they were looking for. And and put a very well-balanced link together of like voices that represent the full range of diversity in every way, shape, and form. But the common through line of everybody is that you're all telling the story as authentically as possible from your unique point of view. And so that was, it became like, um, became like sort of a, an interesting puzzle, like to put together each new casting link was its own unique, like puzzle of how I was going to be able to like put that together. And I really, 
I really enjoyed it. It was, um, it, it took a little bit of like, um, rejigging the brain in terms of like, oh, but I wish I could just call Jen right now and be like, hey, can you, can we hop on the phone and can I redirect or whatever, you know? And then, so it just helped me start to like refine how I started writing specs and like how we're very, very specific in our specs, as I'm sure you all know, like Carly and I will go back and forth and we'll, we'll get really nitty gritty about word choice. So if we say like, hmm, the client said heartfelt, but we know if we put out heartfelt, we're going to get a lot of like really overly goopy, like overly empathetic read. So if we say empathetic, it's a little bit more about the human connection and less about the sound of heartfelt, you know? So we really try to um, get as, I hate this word, but get as granular as possible with every single thing that you see on that page is very intentional, very well thought out. And I started to realize that the more specific we are in the prep process in like prepping those scripts and, you know, and getting that direction over to you, the better the results are, you know? So, so I started to refine my process as I went and then we started getting back better and better and better stuff. Okay. I, I love that. And yes, I, I do. <laughs> I do know how specific you get. <laughs> we are very specific. We are very yeah. specific. But I will say that it's all with the intention of giving every actor every clue that we have as to what the creative directors are hoping to hear. So we kick off every project with a creative call with the ad agency creative team, and we get super like detective work on them and asking, and I'm trying to like excavate every detail and nuance we can get out of them and think of us as matchmakers, right? So this is like when we're on the phone with them, that's like our intake form. Like, Hey, tell us everything you're looking for in your perfect voice of our match. And then we translate that into actor speak as best we can into the specs. So I know I said this at View Atlanta, but if there's anybody out there telling you, screw the specs, just do you, there's nothing that could be further from the truth. It's like you're literally throwing away the keys to the kingdom if you do that, because those specs are our guiding light. It's like we're matchmakers. And these are the this is the criteria that the creative team said they were looking for. So that's our North Star. So we when we're listening, we're really going, OK, who are the best matches of these specs in their own unique way. And we're going to put those forward to the client. So you don't, you do want to be authentic and you want to be yourself, but you want to figure out which authentic version of you most closely aligns with those specs. And we did a, a workshop a few weeks ago where we had people give us two takes mm -hmm. and the whole purpose behind the exercise was to make sure the takes were different. It was a short 15 second script. The beginning of almost every audition sounded so similar. I was actually able to take them and line them up yep. and play them in unison. Mm -hmm. For you, what makes an audition stand out? That's you, okay. You, you got us halfway to my, to my answer. Okay. In the opening moment, we, I have to believe that you are already engaged in an honest, truthful, authentic conversation with somebody from your real life. And that that first moment, whatever your first line is, 
is a genuine response to something that somebody from your real life said, right? So, so we just, uh, I don't want to say a product name on Clubhouse. We just did a casting uh, and most of y'all in this room probably auditioned for it. And the opening moment was like the on-camera was showing like, oh, a really great opportunity came up. And then we saw the on-camera actress's face kind of drop like, oh, but it's probably never going to happen. And the voiceover's first line was, this is when the self-doubt creeps in. But what if it didn't, right? And if you listen down to the casting link we sent, let's say hypothetically, we sent 60 people to every single solitary one of those 60 will have a different point of view on that opening line. So it's how do how do you relate to self-doubt? That's what I want to hear. So are you sarcastic about it? Are you like, oh, yep, this is when the self-doubt creeps in versus like, are you empathetic about it? Or you're like, oh, this is when the self-doubt creeps in. Or are you like, you know, like, yeah, there it is. This is where the self-doubt creeps in, right? But you want to make it absolutely specific and it should reflect your personality, the way you relate to that circumstance in that moment. And let's say you have to do two takes of it. How you make that different is you pick a different person that you imagine you're relating that to. So like you have some friends that you're more sensitive with because you know their hearts are so soft and you're like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I hate this for you. I get it. Like this is when the self-doubt creeps in. But what if it didn't, right? And then you're like kind of like gently hyping them up versus I have some snarky, snarky friends, right? Where I'm like, yep, there it is right on cue. This is where the self-doubt creeps in. But what if it didn't, right? There's your take one and take two. So one of the things that we found, and I think you and I spoke about this briefly, Tina, when I shared with you also that we did this exercise, mm-hmm. is you also can know when you have just a laundry list of, of talent auditioned, when you, when we talked about how quickly you would know, Oh, instant, there's no intention. And because, because as soon as you said that, I was looking, thinking back to ours where it would, our, our, when you, your line was, this is when the great, so that like you would just know at the, the, Uh the pitch, the the place they come in, this is when the doubt Mm -hmm. is in. Yeah. Yeah. And you would just hear that. Over exactly. and over and over. Because we all have the rhythm, the melody, the cadence of a t- typical commercial burned into our brains by osmosis, which would be like, this is where the self-doubt creeps in. It would be like, or like introducing the new Toyota Camry or like AT&T puts you in your world. For, it's that bouncy up thing. And then it, you come back down. That's what's burned in our brains by osmosis. So when we say nothing typical commercial sounding, we want the antidote to that, right? And how do you get out of that? The antidote to breaking out of the typical commercial sound is through your genuine connection to the other person that you're talking to in the circumstance. So if you really think about it, it's the connection of the other person quite literally grounds your voice. You're like, oh, yeah, this is when the self-doubt creeps in. And so my voice is grounded automatically. It's anchored by my connection to the other person. And and it doesn't mean, oh, okay, so I should just drop my voice. No, then I'm going to hear that that's manufactured and you're just doing it technically. It's all about connection and truth and genuinely relating to the circumstance. 
Does that make sense? Is that clear? Like without it absolutely like, yeah. does because yeah. we do. Yeah. We get you said it perfectly. We get that. We either start here or mm-hmm. we start here, and then we move up. And yeah, you. I mean, it is. It's so we create it, and it goes back to which is going to lead into after our half hour mark. This is going to lead perfectly into it. What we think mm-hmm. by casting wants versus bringing us, bringing the intention, bringing our life experience bringing all of those other things to the table to completely make the read our own within spec, like you said. Yes. But yes. Within spec and within like the, the container of the commercial, right? So, so the picture is doing 99% of the work, right? And yes, you have to do less and not argue with the picture, but I still need your intention. I still need to know why you're saying what you're saying and how you feel about it. Otherwise it's going to get lost in a sea of sameness. Yep. Well, we're going to pause real quick. We are at the half hour. Oh my gosh. We have what been- happens at the half hour? <laughs> I get to introduce our sponsor for today's episode, which is Dan Friedman at Sound for VO. He provides professional coaching for voice and sound. Dan offers transformational coaching with undeniable results. And we're excited to share that Dan's new book, Zen and the Art of Voiceover, is now available on Book Baby. If you have questions or are interested in coaching with Dan, reach out by email to dan at sound4vo.com and you'll find the link to sound for vo and email in the chat, which AB is going to go find really quickly. All right, quick room reset. If you've just joined us, we are VO Booth Besties. Our goal is to help working voice actors get their most important questions answered from the pros who know. And tonight, we are joined by the fantabulous Tina Marasco. Thanks for joining us, Tina. Thanks for having me. I love being a bestie. Yeah, this is the place (laughs) to be. So I'm going to turn this over to AB and find out if we have any questions in the chat. So we did have a few questions. I want to start with, so I don't know. I'm sure there's a story behind this, but JD wants to ask you about ice skating. Is that a VO-related topic? (laughs) Well, that's the sweetest question of all. No, my daughter has been a competitive ice skater for the last like 10 years. And it is my absolute of all the hats I have ever worn, being a skate mom is my all-time favorite. And um, and yeah, so thank you for asking. She's uh, skate. She's in college now, so she's only able to skate for fun. She's not skating competitively anymore. But um, but it was my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite role to ever play of all time. I know. I love just how you feel. Not with oh. ice skating, but. I, like, I love to be on stage, but my kids have done theater and I'm like the backstage mom. It's, it's my best. favorite. It's the best. It doesn't matter like how much you ever want something for yourself when you when you just watch your child do something that's just bigger than them, that they're just like able to express themselves and just like really just put their heart and soul into something. I like my thing in life is whenever I watch somebody do what I feel like they were put on this earth to do, it like moves me to tears. And every time I watch her perform, it just takes me to my knees. I just, I just love it so much. So thank you for that, for warming my heart, JD. (laughs) (laughs) So you can ask, answer this question for me. You talk a lot. I've, I've listened to several interviews with you. You talk about that you started doing scale voiceover. What does scale voiceover oh mean? Isn't that so wild? It's so wild that 
probably most of your generation of voiceover actors don't know what that means because there's so much non-union now. Scale is the rate of pay that you would make in the union if you were like any of us doing voiceover as opposed to overscale, which is celebrity money. So like, so scale is the rate that you, like if you were to book a SAG voiceover right now, you would earn scale, which is the minimum, you know, the rate of pay that, that is the minimum, like the standard for, you know, for doing a, a SAG voiceover. And then the residuals you earn are paid at scale. So there's like a, you know, there's a, a rate, it's a rate of pay essentially. But the reason I say scale versus what I was referring to is like, I worked at agencies that represented mostly celebrity talent. So there was the celebrity department and then there was the scale department and scale is just like regular people like us doing voiceover, but really through the union. Beautiful. I, I love that. You know, I do a lot of tech reads and we talk about scaling your business. And I was like, is that like people who were getting ready to move up? Like, anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's SAG scale. It's just the the rate of pay that you earn if you do it through SAG. Perfect. All right. So let's see what some of the other questions are. What is Tina's opinion on the amount of processing an audition should have done to it? Ah, that's a that's a great question. So you don't want to really process. You do want to normalize. I know a lot of people lately have been getting a memo saying like, just give us the raw files, but sometimes I can barely hear it. So then that means I have to open it in a recording program and normalize it so I can even hear whether I want to put it through or not. So you definitely want to normalize. And, you know, if you have something that removes the just very basic background, hum and hiss, awesome. Um, So it's just nice and clean and at like negative three or, you know, depends on whatever your, your base you know, best setting is usually negative three dB is, is usually the standard. Um, just so I can hear it at a nice, reasonable tone. And then in terms of breaths or not breaths, here's my two cents on that. There's two kinds of breaths, right? There's your biological need for air. And then there are the breaths that are connected to your thoughts that are part of like the thought bridges. It's like part of the the impulse of how you got from one thought to another. Those breaths are crucial. And those breaths hold just as much meaning and information as the words themselves, I want to hear those. But if you have to take a big sip of air to get through a long paragraph coming up, those breaths I can live without. And please, if you if you happen to be a nose breather, please take those out. I don't know why the nose breaths gross me out so hard. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if you're a nose breather and you know it, clap your hands and remove the breath. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. We have several more questions. Um, what stands out when casting other than being your, she says, how can we stand out other than doing as genuine as possible a take? So I guess maybe the thought is we can blend this one with another question that said, what are your thoughts on ad libs? Do uh-huh. those stand out? Like, what are the things that, that you have heard people do that you went that, mm-hmm. that, that was different? Yeah. So the one thing that I want to stress is you don't have to reinvent the wheel or like do something crazy to stand out. Really, truly what stands out to me, what I applaud every single time is just a really honest, truthful, dropped in, authentic, connected read. So so that's the basic answer. But if if it is comedic, if the script 
if, you know, the script, if we specifically ask for ad libs, or if you can tell that the spot is written with a very loose off the cuff kind of vibe, and you are a particularly funny person, and you're very loose yourself, by all means, like, throw in an ad lib. I've told this story a bunch of times before, and I love it. We were casting for Diet Coke a few years ago. It was all about moms drinking Diet Coke. And this one guy just leaned right up against the mic and he was like, mama pajama. Look at that mom drinking Diet Coke. And it just like to this day, it makes me laugh. And whenever I see a mom juggling 10 things, I'm like, mama pajama. (laughs) It just makes me laugh. So like, you know, know yourself. You don't have to be a stand-up comic to come up with a really good improv line or ad lib line, it's usually the best, funniest things are all derived from the script, from the story, right? We we cast something where one it was like this crazy running monologue stream of consciousness and she's like neurotic and she's going crazy. And she was like, and speaking of what money, why did Imani have to make her bachelorette in Iceland, right? Something like that, that is just screaming for an ad lib. Like think of a bachelorette party in Iceland. So many jokes, shrinkage, snowballs. Like I could go on forever, right? Like don't let an opportunity like that that presents itself in the script pass you by without putting your two cents on it. Like what strikes you funny about that particular moment? Throw that in and, you know, and just like commit to it fully. So that's the other thing is like full commitment. Like if you're going to do something, own it, go, you know what I mean? Like, don't kind of like dip your toe in. It's like, we can hear that. It's like, if you're going to, if you're going to do an ad lib, like commit to it fully, take it all the way. Um, and if you're not a funny person, that's okay too. It's, it's all about like really letting us hear and see and feel like vibrationally feel who you are and how you relate to this story. That's, I I know it's not the sexiest answer because it's like, you know, like outside of telling the story truthfully, that's all that really matters is telling the story truthfully. And truth be told, there are some people who I can't wait to hear their auditions because they are the funniest ad libbers of all time. But truth be told, a lot of times those reads aren't the reads that book the job. It's like simple, truthful, honest wins almost every time. I just had to take some notes there. Uh, (laughs) That was fabulous. Um, Okay. So I want to know, I'm going to interject here. We've had so many great questions, but we have some time. How much do you feel like of casting, let's see how to phrase this, of us choosing our audition, making our audition choices Mm -hmm. comes from knowing what the casting director likes because you just told us you love ad libs and that you Mm -hmm. think they're fun and that they add something. And I, uh, coached with someone else who is a casting director that you know, and I won't name her, throw her out there, but she said she hates it. She does not like them. She, they take her out of the moment and she says, don't do it ever. And so it's like, but I would never have known that if I hadn't coached with her. So how much is it? Well, I think it's a, I think it's just like, it's a read the room situation. Remember when we all used to go into rooms and see people and read the room, right? You would never walk into a funeral and be like, oh my God, the funniest thing happened on my way in right now, right? You walk into a room and you're respectful of the energy and tone of that room. You want to treat every script the same way, right? So I, if I'm casting for the American Red Cross, I don't want to hear you be ad libby with that, right? You know what I mean? It's like, there's a time and place for everything. And at least on Sound and Fury scripts, we're going to explicitly say, 
take one as scripted, take two, feel free to like, let your freak flag fly, like go for it, like add whatever ad libs and improv you want. So we try to take a lot of the guesswork out of it. If, if we ask for one take and it does feel like it is a loose comedic script, like there are written jokes in there and you have a funny idea, then by all means, throw it in. We edit so much and I will edit your audition to match what I've seen the rough cut to look like. So if I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this. I know there is no time for an ad lib. I'll just cut it out. So it's not, it's not the end of the world, at least for us. If you do, if I love the read and the ad lib took me out of it, or I know that there's not going to have time or it's going to distract them, I'll just cut it. It's not a big deal. Um, it's, it's the, I will tell you what does take me out are the bad lead-ins. So the bad lead-ins, like, hey, Sally, did you hear? And I'm like, okay, that's not helping anybody, especially Sally. Like, it's (laughs) the lead-ins, I'm all for them, but they're really for you as an actor. And I've said this in other places, but I think the analogy is really um, apropos. When you go to a magic show, you don't want to get the cliff notes of how the magician is pulling the rabbit out of the hat, Right. I, the lead in is for you to get grounded and to get related to the person you're talking to and the story and, and get you into the reality of the circumstance. But I don't want to hear how you got there. I want to be amazed that on that opening line, you're already dropped into it. Right. So, so if I, you know, if it's, if it's a one word or two word thing and it really kind of drops you in, that's not a big deal. But when I hear it's really when I hear bad lead-ins that I'm like, that is not helping you. So in my opinion, a lead-in is not an on-ramp to the freeway. It's not like, let me say a couple of extra words to get myself speaking conversationally. The lead-in has got to be related to your pre-life and it has to ground you completely in the reality of the story that you're telling. So there should be no two lead-ins that are the same, right? So on the AT&T example that I use all the time, right? If if the intention is to calm the person down because they cracked their phone and the line is AT&T puts you in your world first with right to you, right? My daughter comes out freaking out that she dropped her phone in the toilet. My lead in for that is going to be like, she's like, oh my God, I'm screwed, right? That's my pre-life is that she says that. And my lead into her is like, calm down. You're not screwed. You know why? Because AT&T puts you and your world first with right to you. I, as a casting director, don't want to hear, calm down, you're not screwed, you know why? I want to hear, AT&T puts you and your world first with right to you. But there is clearly intention and meaning in the way I'm saying that because of the lead-in. But I don't want to say, I don't want to hear you go, um, hey, Sally, did you hear? AT&T puts you and your world first with right to you. It's so nonspecific, and it doesn't change your read from being announcery or typical commercial sounding. And that's what I hear. I hear people put in a couple of extra words like, trust me, and then they go into it. And and it's just too general to really make a difference in the intention of that opening line, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it it makes sense. Not only you're telling us not to leave them in, you're telling us be more intentional yes. about what we're saying and have it be connected to our pre-life, which pulls yep. us into Tom Antonellis's question. Oh, hi, Tom. 
Yeah. He says, my question is, what is your favorite collection of questions for VO talent to ask themselves when approaching the copy and in finding the person we're speaking to? Oh, well, I am glad you asked, Tom. Um, so, so really when I coach, the way I break it down is it's really a four question process. So the first thing I want you to do is look at the specs and go, okay, which version of me most closely aligns with these specs? So if it says authority, depth, and gravitas, I don't want you thinking, how does authority sound? Uh-uh, wrong question. I don't ever want you thinking, how should anything sound from this moment forward? I want you thinking like, okay, when am I speaking from a place of authority, right? And so if somebody new wants to get into voiceovers, you would give them advice. That's you speaking from a place of authority. Maybe you are an expert in yoga, or maybe you collect baseball cards. Tom, do you collect baseball cards? I think you do. Um, but whatever it is that you are an expert in, right, that's just you talking from that expert point of view. And you will notice that it's the same voice that you'd be talking about anything else in your life. So this is me speaking from my expert point of view now, because it's what I do all day, every day. Same voice as when I was talking about ice skating 10 minutes ago. Same voice as if I was talk talking to you about my dogs, right? I don't have to put on any airs to make you believe that I know what I'm talking about because I know what I'm talking about, right? So question one is, which version of me most closely aligns with these specs? And so the answer to that question is going to be the best friend version, the partner version, the the son-daughter version, the parent version, you know, the sports fan version, the music lover version, which version of you, right, lines up with those specs. Then I'm going to want you to read the entire script through every word, including and especially the on-camera action, so you can really ask yourself, what story am I telling? And be absolutely relentless in finding the story. Okay. So even if it's just introducing the new Toyota Camry and there's no context given, then it's your job to create three scenarios, three stories that you could imagine you would respond with that line to, right? So I've done this a million times, but it could be that Jen and I are next door neighbors and I've been talking about getting a new car for 10 years. And she's like, girl, I will believe it when I see it. And then I roll up in it and I'm like, read them and weep, Jen introducing the new Toyota Camry, right? There's a story. Then I would create two other versions of that. And those would be my three different takes. So question one, which version of me lines up with the specs? Question two, what's the story? Then based on those two answers, question three is who from my real life would I imagine that I could be sharing this story with, telling the story to? And then question four, and the most important thing is what did that person from my real life say or do, or what did we collectively see that forces me to respond to them with the opening line of the script? And if you, that is how you will get genuinely engaged and connected to whatever the circumstance of the story is. And your intention is the answer to that. Like, what did that person say or do that forces me to say the first line? Whatever the answer to that question is, is your intention. So in the AT&T example, if she's like, oh my God, I dropped my phone in the toilet. I need to do a big audition in an hour. I'm screwed. My intention is to calm her down and say, no, 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 don't sweat it. You're not screwed because AT&T will show up to wherever you are and get you a new phone and get you on your way. So that is the epidemic in voiceover right now. That's what's missing. Everybody is very focused on achieving a conversational sound. 
but there's a huge difference between sounding conversational and actually having the conversation. And the difference is intention. So this is a perfect lead in for us to ask you about your new library of coaching videos. Oh, well, thank you for asking. It is, uh, it was truly a passion project. And I am utterly delighted that it is seeming to have the impact that I was hoping for it to have, which is I want to reach more actors with the limited amount of time that I have in my days and get actors the information that's going to give you the armor you need to deliver the reads that we're hoping to hear in casting. So it's uh, basically I shot over two hours of video broken into bite-sized topical video chunks. And I cover everything from how to really dissect and find the story in every script, how to create pre-lives that really work, what should be the difference between take one and take two, how to handle breaking the fourth wall, how to um, handle repeated words or phrases. I talk about like how to bathe things in specificity, all of all of the things that we're hoping to hear when we're casting. It's like a step by step and it's a way to have me in the booth with you for every single audition. And you can just go, wait, what the heck did she say about the fourth wall? And you can just search it. I also have them all broken down within each video. It's like, hey, at the two minute and 11 mark, I talk about tags. At the, you know, six, the 12 minute mark, I talk about like, um, you know, like the structure of a commercial, whatever it is. So it's all like searchable and really quick and easy to access. And the best part about it is like, if you do coach with me and you've already seen the videos, then we have such a running start that when we do our coaching session, we can just dive right in and just get to work on scripts where I don't have to spend the first half of the coaching session sharing all of this information, which is really important for actors to have to kind of let you know that, oh, this is the playing field we're on, you know? And it's like, unless you really understand the game you're playing, it's hard to like play it right. And we're all playing it in isolation. And I'm like trying to shine light, you know, in in a dark booth (laughs) is really what I'm trying to do with it. Yeah. And I've actually seen, well, I've I've seen the email and I've I've seen the the cost and it's phenomenally priced. Oh, thank sure. you. I, I just mean, put the link in the chat for anybody who hasn't already seen it and is living under a rock and wants <laughs> to check it out. It, it looks pretty awesome. So, and if um, you guys want, because I know I did a launch special, but um, for anybody who's on Clubhouse tonight and who's listening, if you put in code "not too late." at checkout. It was like, people were like, oh my gosh, I'm too late for the launch special. So I added a code, not too late at checkout. You'll get the 10% launch special. Um, mm-hmm. And that and that's good for any of your bestie audience members. It's not too late. Thank um, you. And I'm using that. <laughs> the, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I, I honestly, it makes me so, so I like it honestly warms my heart when people are saying like, it really does feel like you're with me in the booth every single time, because that was the intention. I try to make it as interactive as I possibly can. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I think guys, I'm trying to see if I missed anything. There was one more question 
Um, Xavier Paul asked, talk about dealing with retail copy. Mm -hmm. And the examples he gave were Raymore and Flanagan, Siemens, et cetera. He says that's usually done bombastically, even after all the conversational requests from mm-hmm. casting. So maybe what he's getting at is that sometimes we we submit these conversational auditions, mm-hmm. but they end up with the yeah the crazy I'd, read. <laughs> I'd love to talk about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna address it in two different ways. Okay. So e so this is I'm so glad that this question came up because it's really really important to me. Go back to how we start each project is with a call with the creative team, right? Creative team is always trying to be creative. They're always trying to do something different. And so that's where you're getting the specs, right? And then sometimes you'll audition for it and then you'll see it on the air and you're like, God, still so announcery. What the heck happened? I'm never going to trust their specs ever again. And then you're again, shooting yourself in the foot. It's a process, right? So the creatives have one idea in their mind, but they're still, you know, answering to their client. And this happened to us in-house where um, one of our editors, she's a terrific voice actress. She booked one of our projects and her read was so good. It was so dropped in. It was so authentic. It was so real. And I wasn't surprised she booked it. And by the way, we have no nepotism. We kick our own mothers off of a casting link. Like I wouldn't ever make it into one of our casting links. So anyway, um, her read was phenomenal. And she books the job. She doesn't say anything. She comes back. And then we, and and it was awesome. Then we get a copy of the spot and it's on the air and it's introducing. And we're like, oh my gosh, what the heck happened? And she's like, oh. I got on with them. They were raving about my audition. They couldn't stop complimenting like how real it was, how connected or whatever. They directed me exactly like that. They were like, yes, 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 yes. This is exactly what we have in mind. I was done in 20 minutes. And then they made me wait for 45 minutes for client approval. And then they came back totally dejected and just like, uh, so the client thinks it sounds a little heavy and depressed and they want to smile and pick up the pace and whatever. And so it ended up on the air, super commercial and smiley and announcery. But if she had submitted the audition, the, the read that ended up on the air, if she had submitted that at the audition phase, it would have never, we would have never put it through, even though we know her, we would have never put it through to the client because remember we're matchmakers. So if they say we want tall, dark, and handsome, we can't give them short, bald, and dumpy, right? You know what I mean? Like they are telling us they want real edgy, dropped in, connected, you know, raw. Like even if it's for McDonald's Happy Meal, we're like, okay, we're going to give you a raw McDonald's Happy Meal reads. Otherwise, like we're not doing our job. So Sometimes it happens where the client just vetoes what the creative team wanted, and that's how it ends up announcery. So it doesn't, I don't want you to suddenly stop trusting the specs and thinking, oh, I know how it's going to end up. So I'm just going to give them the commercial read that I know it's going to end up on the air. You'll never make it past the casting gatekeepers. The other thing to keep in mind on some of those that were cited is that they could still be run by smaller regional agencies that are catering to like local markets or regional markets. And, and sometimes when it's about like a sale, you know, like 
there's always the Labor Day sales and the, you know, one day sales and all that. Those still sort of operate under that, like, hurry in, don't miss out, you know. But those are still like, that's different from like the national brand campaign stuff that we're mostly casting. So you sort of, again, need to read the room and know where, you know, where this particular um, audition falls in line of, does this feel more regional, more local? If it has any of the old buzzwords like hurry in, don't miss out, you know, all of those things, those call to action words, then if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Do the announcer like upbeat, bright commercial read that those are asked. And if those words are in the specs, then by all means do it. That's the easy stuff. It's the specs that say like nothing typical commercial sounding slick polish or announcery that you really want to make sure your intention and your connection are clear. Awesome. I We had uh, Roger Becker on a few weeks ago oh, yeah. and he said, auditions are the art mm-hmm. and the, the, the actual job is the science, right? Like, so you can't, you, you're, you're booking the job with the art and just yep. focus on that. And that's what your auditions are. And don't worry about the rest of it. That's. Yeah. And don't, and don't, I think the biggest thing that actors try to do, and I understand it because I, I used to do it too. Everybody wants to blow a hole in something. They want to look at the specs and be like, you want it real and connected. And then it says introducing. That is the game we all signed up to play. So why not learn how to play it the best way you can, right? Instead of just judging it and blowing holes and and being like, oh, well, this is stupid. Like, you can't No, I would never say this to anybody in my real life. Then I would say, then don't play this game because that's the game that you're being asked to play, you know, just make it into a challenge for yourself and, and really like, don't give up. If like, there's a conversation, I know we're probably running out of time, but I want to get this in. There was something that we cast that it was all about, like, it was like, we're this company and we created this and we brought this product to market. And these are all the benefits that this product has. And, you know, I coached a million people on it after the fact. And they're like, well, I'm talking to my sister. I go, would you ever really have that conversation with your sister? Wouldn't your sister know what company you created? And what you did to bring it to market and what the product. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, but don't give up. Don't suddenly go like, oh, okay, well, it's really, it feels announcery. So I'm going to just give in. No, it's like, you know where you would have that conversation? If you were a guest on a podcast, a podcast that was geared towards, you know, in this case, it was like for baby formula. So like you're on a podcast that's geared towards new moms, right? And if I'm the host of the podcast and I'm like, So, you know, Alicia, tell us your story. This company seems unbelievable. Like, how did it come to be? Introduce us to the company. How? Tell us how it came to market and like why we should all be feeding our babies your magic formula. And you're like, oh my gosh, thanks so much for having me. So we're by heart. And you know what I mean? It's like now you can believably have that conversation that introduces your company, tells you how you how it came to market and what all the benefits of the product are. So there are there, when there's a will, there's a way you like, if we're saying make this conversational and you're like, but I would never have this conversation. You'd have it somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so don't give up and don't like think of all the different places that conversations are had and podcasts are a great look like what we're doing right now. Right. This is just a conversation. Like this is exactly how I'd be talking to you one-on-one. And it just so happens that there are people listening but I'm not aware that there are people listening. I'm just talking, I'm looking at you on Zoom and when I'm talking to you, you know? And so we're having a conversation about something that I wouldn't 
have a conversation with my daughter about, but this is still authentic and real. So find your way in and try not to blow holes in things just because, you know, it, it seems counterintuitive. There's always a way in truthfully. Yeah. That's uh, it's our, another one of our favorites is Deborah Sperling. I know you love Deborah. Yeah, I do. She love always Deborah. says it's not your job to worry about the words. It's none of your business what the words are. You know, yeah. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah, so. just know what you want, what you're saying, why you're saying it. Yeah, That's all good. all of that. The, well, you have given us so much, so much to think about. I I took your ex session in Atlanta, and I and I heard some of these things, and I'm already again like. I need, I need, I need more notes. So, um, the library, library. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all there. Key, it's right? all in the library. Um, yeah, no, it really like more than anything. It's just, I get so happy. There are a couple of people that have it and I have heard such a shift in their reads and it makes me so happy. Um, just because this is all stuff that everybody can do. You just have to be reminded of it and you have to be willing to slow down when you go into the booth, if you have a stack, you have to go, okay, I'm going to force myself to take a minute before I start speaking, answer those four questions, be very present, very intentional, and create the full scene for myself, and then live truthfully through the story moment to moment, which just takes a little bit of Zen practice of like, we're all so conditioned to go in and go, knock it out, knock it out, knock it out, knock it out. And, you know, you just have to slow your roll a little bit. But it'll save you so much time and agony listening to 74 takes and being like, I don't know. They all sound the same to me. So I think we've all coached with, have we all coached with Tina? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We all have. Okay. So, so here's here. I was going to do a quick wrap up. If like, why don't each of us say like one quick thing, a takeaway from Tina? Oh. Can you guys think of one real quick from coaching with her? I have mine. I'm trying to talk into my microphone. My, um, so mine was just the, the intention. That word was not a word I had heard used in anything else. And thinking about what is my intention with how I am performing, not performing, but how I am and conveying the words in the script. Um, that has changed how I go into everything. But I, I love that four question process. I took notes and wrote it oh, down. Good. So. That's awesome. Um, that's my big takeaway. And I haven't had the chance for one-on-one coaching yet, but it's next week. I'm scheduled. Oh, I am so excited. <laughs> you know, and on the subject of attention, I don't know why I just thought of this because it was this morning or last night. I was trying to show my daughter that like I was annoyed with her because I wanted to go get a manicure this weekend and she, like she had other plans for us. And so I went like this, like I stuck my middle finger up because my <laughs> polish is totally chipped. And she got so offended. I go, no, 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 no. That was not my intention. I was not giving you the middle finger. I was showing you how desperately I need a manicure. But that's how important intention is, right? I could just be showing you that I need a manicure or I could be giving you the finger. There's a, but same action, different intention changes everything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think when I coached with you, you were the first person to really talk me through having that conversation with somebody mm-hmm. and and making it real. And then in Atlanta, um, Devin was with me and sat in on your your talk and came out and was like, Tina said, and he quoted you the whole way home. Oh, he was like, well, Tina said. Tina said, and it's like, 
makes me so happy. (laughs) So he Uh, learned a lot just, just from that, but same, same thing, just to pick that person and figure out where you're having the conversation, who you're talking to and really drop it in. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And just, and live through that moment to moment with them. That's what creates the true spontaneity, right? This is why the robots will not win in commercials, because if you're genuinely having a conversation, it's a dialogue. So therefore you have to then respond to what you imagine the other person's response is. And that changes the way you're going to say your next line and your next line and your next line, as opposed to like programming AI to do a friendly read, then every line is going to be friendly and it's going to mm-hmm. sound like this and da, 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 da. But if you're genuinely connected to what you imagine the other person is responding to with on the other side, then it automatically shifts and changes your responses in real time. And that's true spontaneity. My fun takeaway when I worked with you was, Jen, you're in a courtroom. And this was when we had, right, yep. we got more than one thing. And it would be like, and you're presenting to the jury, this, yep. this, this. And then you just drop that gavel and you're like, but, um, yeah, exactly. Lay in the so, plane. And that was, I was like, Ooh, I just, I probably, I was, I did my animation demo this weekend. It was really funny. Like I found myself, we were just talking about different things. Oh, and Dave's down there too. I did an interview with Dave and I brought it up with him as well that Tina says, land the plane, you know, like it was was so perfect. So that's been my, that was one of my wonderful takeaways. That's my favorite thing I ever created. And that's a video. It's the bad courtroom lawyer, right? So it's the structure of commercial scripts and it's, uh, it's sort of like your thesis statement, then all the supporting arguments that build in momentum to prove that thesis is true. Then you know you won your case. So you look at the jury with total confidence and swagger and you drop down and you're like, so in conclusion, you must acquit. And then you sit back down at your lawyer table and you're like, I rest my case. And that's the Woo-hoo! tag. It's and so it's, good. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it works. It's just the way our ears crave to hear a story, but it doesn't sound like you're doing it on purpose. It doesn't sound manufactured. It sounds like that confident, effortless swagger we're always listening for. Love it. The mic drop. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Well, Well, thank you. I love, listen, nothing, I swear to God, other than being a mom, nothing brings me greater joy than like knowing that something, this weird little pocket of knowledge that I have is of service to people. It makes me so happy, like truly fuels my soul. So thank you for sharing the feedback and, and it really does make me feel like, you know, somehow this weird, weirdo knowledge I have is making a difference in some way. <laughs> well, we is. appreciate you being here. Um, we've made it a little over an hour. Before Sorry. you go, we like to ask all of our guests three for fun questions, James Lipton style, and we'll try and keep it quick. Okay. Um, and I think we probably already had the answer to the first question. What singer, band, or composer are you enjoying right now? Oh, well, yeah, that was the opening was just because we listened to that in the car on the way here tonight. <laughs> but um, uh, it's T-Swift all the way for me. And we just went to a concert last uh, Mother's Day. And it was phenomenal. And I don't even think she's real because she's just flawless all the time. Three and a half hours, nonstop, no break. 20 million costume changes where she was like down and back up. And so she's such a great example of like truly being present in the moment and connecting with her fans and like 
letting whatever the energy is of that stadium of that room in the moment take her wherever she's going to go next. It's it's a she's a masterclass, right? Mm-hmm. All in one. Yes. Uh, if you listen to podcasts at all, what have you been listening to lately? Um, I I'm really into like hippie dippy spiritual podcasts. Um, so I love. I'm really obsessed with like near-death experiences. I listened to one not too long ago called Where Is My Mind? And it was somebody who was like coming from a science point of view, trying to prove that consciousness emanates from the brain. And what he ended up proving, he ended up disproving that and realized that the brain is actually a barrier of consciousness, like our our connection to the higher consciousness. Um, it was really, really interesting. It was called Where Is My Mind? And so in there, he interviewed people who had, you know, near-death experiences, past life things, psychic abilities. It was fascinating. I I, I could eat and breathe that all day. All right, and of course, the Theo Booth besties. Of <laughs> nice. Thank you. <laughs> last, what is your favorite dessert? Oh, well, soft serve with sprinkles. So... Uh, vanilla and chocolate swirl with rainbow sprinkles is my go-to. Easy peasy. All right. We want to remind everyone that VO Booth Besties is live two days a week. We invite you to join us Monday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific and for our VO 101 series on Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific. Over to you, Amy. <laughs> Meanwhile, be sure to connect with each of us on LinkedIn and join the VO Booth Besties Facebook group. Replays are all available to listen to on our website, boothbesties.com, on YouTube podcasts. Yeah, guys, anywhere you can find your favorite podcasts, you should be finding us. So be sure to share your comments, like, and subscribe. That really does help us grow the show. So please, that would be great. And sign up for the VO Booth Besties Monday newsletter so you know what's coming up in the week ahead. And you'll find discounts from our affiliate partners there as well. And NJ? Oh, it's back to me. Coming up Thursday on our VO 101 series, we're talking about genres. What are the differences and how do you know which genres are best for you to pursue? You won't want to miss it. Next Monday, though, is Memorial Day, so we will not have a clubhouse. Enjoy your three-day weekend. And uh, that's it, guys. So thank you again, Tina, and thank you all for joining us, and we hope you have a wonderful night. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. VO Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing.